But thank you, Greg, and those that serve with him. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you, young men, for taking up our offering. I hope you have a Bible with you this morning, and I want you to join with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I hope that when you came in, you got a copy of the bulletin, the worship guide. On the back of that, there'll be some notes if you want to reference those as we work through God's Word together. But Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday, and we're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to work down through verse 16. Now, this is a bigger chunk of Scripture than I would really like to try to tackle on a Sunday morning, because my tendency, my fault, is that when you get a, a chunk of Scripture like this, I tend to go off on a lot of rabbit trails like Mo, and then and then we're here till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then you get upset at me, and then, and then it just turns out bad. But the problem is, is when you come to a text of Scripture, you want to be fair. What Scripture says is what you want to stick to, and so there's really not a way to divide this up and to separate it out, because this is pretty much one chunk, one thought, and so we're just going to have to, you listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we will get out here one thirty, two o'clock. We get an hour early, an hour early than what we normally would get out, but... Around 2006, 2007, I don't remember the exact date, I, I started in the oil field. Now, it's all Tucker's fault why I got in the oil field to begin with. I was perfectly content doing utility, electrical utility construction. The Tucker gets out of the oil, or Tucker gets out of the Marine Corps, goes to the oil field, calls me up, says, hey, brother, they're just giving money away. You better come get some of it. And I said, well, here I am. I'm coming. And so about 2006, 2007, I am in Jay, Oklahoma, and I'm on Goober Rig 10. First week, I'm starting on nights because that's where you, I guess you cut your teeth is on nights. And so I'm there on nights, and I kept hearing this vernacular, tripping pipe. And I don't know what it is. I've never been about it. This was before you would YouTube and watch this stuff. And they don't do orientation. And so they would always talk about, for the first few nights, talk about tripping pipe, tripping pipe, tripping pipe. And I was like some, some magical thing that you did that I hadn't seen yet. So several nights into my tour of duty, if you will, my hitch, um, somebody says we're going to trip pipe. Now, for those of you that may not know, you have your drill pipe and it's just stuck in the ground however deep you are at the moment. So let's say you're 4,000 foot in the ground. You have 4,000 foot of pipe. Well, you got to do something to the bottom of that pipe or you got to do something. You got to take all of that pipe out of the hole. And usually you do it in 90 foot increments or something like that. And so you got to take out 90 foot, unscrew it, set it to the side, bring out another 90 foot. And so that's what they call tripping pipe. You're taking all the pipe that's out of the hole, that's in the hole, out of the hole, or all the pipe that's out of the hole back in the hole. And that's really the way you, that you do it. But for those that have never seen it before, have never done it before, you have no idea what's getting ready to happen. So can you picture this? We, we were sitting there on this drilling floor. It's maybe 20 foot by 20 foot. The pipe is all the way down in the, in the bushing and it's going down through there. They say we're getting ready to trip pipe and I'm the kind of guy, man, I'm set to go. I've got a set of gloves in this pocket. I've set it, got a set of gloves in that pocket. I've got my hard hat on. I've got a set of gloves on me. I mean, I'm setting on Sikkim. I'm just, I don't know what to do. And so I'm sitting there on the racking board, ready to move, just sitting here, and the tool pusher comes out, and a super, super nice guy named, by the name of Tommy King, a super, super nice, nice guy, never would growl, never would do anything. And he comes out and he stares at me, and I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong, I'm sitting here. And he looks at me, he goes, are you going to do anything or just stand there? I said, I don't know what to do. And then he started giving orders, and barking orders to be more precise, but he started giving me orders. Well, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I want you to go do that. But you know that moment when I'm standing there, and I don't know what to do, and he looks at me. Sometimes church is like that. Because we come into church, 
And we have all these thoughts or expectations of what it's supposed to be like. We come into church and we think that everybody else knows what's going on. And we're the only person that doesn't know what's going on. Sometimes we can come into church and we can think, I think it's supposed to be like that. I hope it's going to be like this. But I really do not know what to do. And I really don't know what I'm supposed to be doing once I get to church. We are in a day and age that maybe you can't remember. But once upon a time, you were the new person. Once upon a time, for the very first time, you came in these doors and you're coming in going, I don't know where I'm supposed to sit, when I'm supposed to stand, when I'm supposed to sit. I don't know the protocol. I don't know the tradition. I don't know the routine. Sometimes you come in and you wonder, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Sometimes in ministry, it can be like that. You're visiting with somebody and somebody shares a burden on their heart. Somebody shares something that they're struggling with, something they are dealing with, and you just kind of look on your face like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Right now, we're in this midst of a COVID time. We've got a number of people that are watching online and, and I am sitting here not knowing whether I should encourage you to stay home for your safety or whether I should encourage you to come and be part of the fellowship. If we embrace it, if we tolerate it, we, we do not know what to do. Some people come in and they, and they come into our fellowship. Do I come up and give them a hug? Do I give them the elbow? Do I give them the fist? Do I give them a handshake? What is the rules? People are sitting there going, I don't know what to do. Even life sometimes will throw you these curveballs. You will think that you had it all planned out. And then life happens. And you're sitting there wondering, what am I supposed to do? Well, in the same way that it can happen on a drilling rig, the same way that it can happen in our lives, the same way that it can happen in our societies, the same way that it can also happen many times in the life of the church. Now, we're in the middle of Ephesians, and Paul is writing to the church. You remember last time, the first three chapters of Ephesians have to do with instruction. Paul's giving instruction to the church, mainly doctrinal instruction on this is how you're to guard, this is how you're to guide, and this is how you're to set up your faith and practice. And then, in chapter 4 through 6, he moves into application and says, now this is how you live out this life, this life before God, but he's looking at a bunch of new Christians. He's looking at a new church. He's looking at a bunch of people that are surrounded by paganism. They're surrounded by lostness. They're surrounded by new traditions, new ideas, new things all around them. And they're wondering, well, what is it that we're supposed to do? So we got this idea when we're supposed to show up. We got this idea that we're supposed to meet. But then what is it that we do when we come to church? So Paul is going to come in the midst of this letter. We're going to pick it up kind of in the middle of the, uh, the conversation, if you will. But what I want you to see this morning is when we come together, sometimes you may come and you may not know what to do. Someone else may be coming in and they may not know what to do. Sometimes you may get to life in your spiritual walk, in your spiritual life, and you say, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go from now. This is what I think Paul's admonition is to us. Grow And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I don't mean that in a sarcastic sense. I don't mean that in one of those things where just get over yourself. I'm meaning it in the sense that Paul says part of your Christian life, part of the goal of your Christian life is to be growing. So when you get to the point that you don't know what to do or you don't know how to do what you want to do, Paul would say just continue to grow. Grow towards Christ. Grow up in your faith. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And if we ever get to the, mo- the point in the moment when we're not really sure what to do, we can always grow. We can always grow in our faith. We can always grow in our walk. We can always grow in our obedience and our submission to 
God. Now some people think that this idea of growth, it's something that they can't do. It's something that happens upon them. And when you see there at the top of your notes, even though spiritual growth is supernatural in the fact that the Holy Spirit, with, in conjunction with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, even though those factors are all at work inside of you, spiritual growth is possible today. It's going to take several different things. I, I, I put there in your notes elements, if you will. You think about something that needs to grow. It's going to have several different factors that come into affecting the growth of whatever it is. And so this morning, I want to start with verse 7. And we're going to work down through verse 16. And I just want to point out to you, just uh, enumerate, if you will, four elements that are required for us to grow. You hit a stage in your Christian life. You hit a stage in your life of a church. And you say, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do now? I think Paul says that we should be continually growing. So when you don't know what to do, you can always grow. And there's some markers, if you will. And we've seen them already before in chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul says, but God. And then in chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul says, but now. And even in our text this morning, starting in verse 7, he's going to say, but grace. It's if Paul is making some markers in the narration of this letter to say, but God did the salvation, the work, the salvific work in your life. And now that you are saved, but now this is how you are to begin to structure and ordain your life. And then when you start to wonder how it is that I'm supposed to grow, how it is that I'm supposed to move forward, how it is that I'm supposed to be faithful to God, does God not, does God not know everything that I have going on around me he says but grace Mo addressed that this morning in Sunday school the role of grace in our lives how grace is so unmerited and undeserved and yet so often neglected in our walk with Jesus every day so let's look at these four elements if you will the first one is that I want to point out to you is that believers have gifts. Believers have gifts. You know, so starting there in your text there in verse 7, read along with me. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now you come to this passage and I don't know about you, but I come to a passage like this and I'm going, what in the world is Paul talking about? Where in the world is he going? Well, let me just try to simplify it in my, in my mind with you this morning. The first thing is that grace was given by Christ. He tells you right there in verse 7, this gift came of Christ. It was the measure of Christ possession, his Gift. So this idea that this gift of grace, this gift of a spiritual, uh, <clears throat> spiritual gift, if you will, or some type of a spiritual leading, this is of Christ. This is not something you earn. This is not something you deserve. This gift was given you by Christ. And you can know by being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have at least one spiritual gifting. Now I know there's inventories, there's all kinds of uh, souvenir or surveys that we can take and try to discern what is your spiritual gift. I'm just going to tell you that if you're here this morning and you know that you've been born again, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you you have the gift of Christ inside of you. There's not a single one of us that can come and say, well, I don't have it, so therefore I am irresponsible for it. Or I don't have it, so therefore I am not liable for it. I'm going to tell you that based upon the word of God, he tells us that all believers have gifts. And this grace was given us by Christ. 
So this gift that you have, at least a gift, if you will, it's from Christ. And then Paul goes on there in verse 8, and he starts to quote. If you look there in your study Bibles or a reference Bible, he's quoting out of Psalm 68, 18. Because what Paul is wanting to do is Paul is wanting to differentiate between a gift from somebody that doesn't matter and a gift from somebody that does. So let's say, Camber comes to me. She says, Preacher Spence, I want to give you something. I said, Camber, what would you like to give me? She says, I want to give you a thousand acres in Florida on the coast. And I would say, well, Camber, that's really nice. But you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, she doesn't have a thousand acres. I don't think she's ever been to Florida on the coast. She could give it to me, but that doesn't mean that it's actually what I think it is. Unless, say, Greg comes to me. And Greg says, Spence, I've got the deed right here for a thousand acres on the Florida coast, and I'm willing to sign it over to you. You know, my understanding or my thought or perspective on what he's offering versus what his daughter offering to me are two totally different things. So what Paul is doing here, sometimes we can confuse in the language here in 8, 9, and 10, but what Paul is simply saying is this Christ, this Christ that has given you the gift of the, the gift, the spiritual leading, the spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit, this Christ, this is not just some run-of-the-mill, some prophet, just some good teacher. This is the Son of God who descended down to the earth, lived the sinless life for a number of years, crucified on the cross, then ascended having victory, victory of Christ, victory in Christ, victory through Christ, this same Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father, and this is the same God that is giving you the gift. In other words, we have received gifts from the King. And brothers and sisters in the church today, we need to remember that when we come in here, as battered as we may come in here, as distracted as we may be when we get in here, as tired as you might be when you get in here, as burdened as you might be when you get in here, we need to remember that when we gather together, we are gathered as children of God. Given gifts by the king. We are not just in here as a ragtag group trying to hold ourselves together. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have been given gifts by Christ. Why? So I can come in here and just feel defeated all the time? So I can just come in here and say, well, we're just managing. We're just getting by. Do you think that's what Jesus wants? Do you think Jesus says, listen, I came to the earth. I lived a sinless life. I made victory possible. Descended, ascended. I have given my gift to you. And then you want to look around and go, well, I just don't know what we can do about that. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that if we're ever going to grow, we're going to have to understand that we've been given gifts. We've been given gifts by Christ. We've received the gift from the king. So instead of trying to make excuses, instead of trying to say, well, it's not my responsibility, instead of trying to pawn it off on someone else, we need to understand that God has given us gifts so that we might grow in him. But that's not the only element. Look at verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. These gifts have a purpose. 
Oh, verse 11, he says, notice in your text, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, that is not an exhaustive list. It leaves out deacons. It leaves us out other classifications there in the list, so it's not an exhaustive list. But notice what he's saying is that he is giving some to the church for the sake of of equipping. He tells us that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now there's two things that I want you to notice right here in this text. Number one, he has given gifts for the purpose, given gifts because some are being given the gift of equipping. But if you follow the logical reign of thinking here, how do the equippers equip unless there's people present to be equipped? In other words, he has given some for equipping and some for being equipped. In order for us to have a church that is growing, you have to have teaching. You have to have discipleship. You have to have those that are pouring into those that are pouring into those. You have to have some type of a cycle. You think about a plant, a wheat plant, if you will. That wheat plant has to come from something. That wheat plant has to come from the seed, from the plant from the previous or previous years. That seed had to come from something. And so Paul is wanting to remind the church there in Ephesus. He reminds them that God has given you these gifts. He's given you these gifts in the way of teachers or equippers. But he's also giving people for equipping and for people for being equipped. That's why in verse 13 he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He wants to remind them that in the life of the church there is this cycle of people coming in and that are teaching and being taught. So when you come in for Sunday school on Sunday morning you're coming in in one of two roles. Either you coming in as the equipper or you're coming in as those that are being equipped. Well how in the world Spence do I fulfill my purpose of being the one that is being equipped? Sometimes you come in and encourage. Come in with a thousand questions. So as soon as you sit down, Mo starts to talk. You're like, Mo, Mo, before you get, before you get into Revelation 13, I've, I've got a laundry list of questions right there. And you just start saying, hey, these are things that I've been drilling down. These are things that I've been investigating. These are things that I've been studying. Can you imagine the kind of encouragement you can be to one another when you show up ready to learn, wanting to learn, looking to learn? <sighs> Ask Van. I bet your van would love to have a whole room full of teenagers that come in that actually act interested in what Van has to say. Sometimes on Wednesday nights, I'm sitting there looking at those young people and I'm thinking, they do not care. They're here doing community service. They're not here to listen to what I have to say. They are just here to mark the time. It's one of those things that being the person that is now being equipped, you can come in with encouragement, understanding. But the idea that Paul wants us to understand is that these gifts have a purpose. These gifts are there because there are people that are equipping and there are people that are being equipped. Now your season may come where you are here being equipped so that then you can grow to a state where then you can equip someone else. But we have too much in the church today. We have a bunch of spiritual babes that are never growing. Because they're never coming and being equipped. And it's a struggle with the crowd that is listening to us online or watching us online. How do we as a church equip those? How do you that are watching us virtually or listening to us virtually, how do you, how do you be, and I know this is terrible language, be equipped by the church? 
See, the idea that Paul has given us this picture, he, this, this idea that he is trying to drive home is that these gifts have a purpose and these gifts are for our good, for the sake of our growth, for the sake of our maturation, for the sake of us growing in our faith in Christ. And not just that the, the gifts that we have or the gifts that they have a purpose, but these gifts have a goal. He goes on there in verse 14 and notice he gives us this goal. So not only does he tell us that these gifts have a purpose, but these gifts have a goal. What is the purpose of being taught? What is the purpose of Sunday school? What is the purpose of Wednesday night? What is the purpose of Sunday morning? Have you heard where Sunday morning came from? Because I guarantee you Moses didn't have a Sunday morning service. And it didn't start at 9.45 and 10.45. Where did this come from? I mean, who decided to have Sunday evening service? Who decided the Wednesday evening service was a good idea? I mean, sometimes we think in the church today, well, it's just always been that way, preacher. Don't mess with it. No, it hasn't always been that way. Somebody started it. Why did they start it? Well, notice what he says in verse 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says these gifts have a goal. These, th- these gifts not only have a purpose, but they have a goal. Lord, notice what he says. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of darkness. Dark- doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes so he's saying the purpose the goal of this equipping and being equipped is so that we get to the state of maturity that we are putting away those childish things that we're putting away those things that don't matter we're putting away those feelings that get tempered that they get hurt or they get hindered we're putting away that ease of being offended we're putting away that attitude that I need to be served or it's all about me we're putting those childish things away not only that but we're not being deceived easily by heretical teaching That's why he says that we're not being carried about by every wind of doctrine. Sometimes you have people in the world today that are carried away into false teaching because they have never been taught anything different. And you go, how in the world can they get off in those areas of heretical teaching, misunderstandings, if you will, because they never put themselves in a position to be taught and those around them never taught them the truth of God's word. Right now we have this whole movement going on where people are getting up in the morning and starting their day and they're starting with their affirmations. I don't know of anybody in this room right now that I'm looking at that is done that is doing that right now. So I'm just going to tell you, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just going to tell you, if you get up in the morning and do your affirmations, stop it. The affirmations is some mysticism. The affirmations started in some humanism type background. You want to get up and do something that puts you on a trajectory for the day. Get up and read your Bible. Get up and pray to the Lord. You don't need to be encouraged to know, well, I'm a wonderful person. I'm a great looking person. I've got everything going for me. I can do anything I want to do. No, we need to get up and reminded that I have been saved by grace through faith. I have been created in His image. I have a workmanship created by God. I have these things that are true about me, but there are people that are getting up in this times this morning. In fact, I listened to a a person out the other day and it says when he gets up, reads his uh, morning devotional by Joel Osteen, goes through his daily affirmations and then he goes throughout his day and I'm going, but where's the Bible? Where's the word of God structuring your thoughts? So these gifts... These gifts that God has given us has a goal. Your growth has 
a goal. Why? So that we can guard our faith. He says that that there in the last part of verse 14. By human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. This idea that we are to be guarding our faith. How do we guard our faith? By knowing God's word. By practicing God's word. By sharing God's word. By teaching God's word. By demonstrating God's word. By instilling God's word into other people. By ensuring that people know God's word. It's the idea that these gifts are given to us. Paul wants to remind the church, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of God, the gifts of grace, all of these things have been given to us with a purpose and with a goal so that we should be growing up not in our knowledge of Baptist tradition but our knowledge in the things of God and yet sometimes we can get stuck because there's some dangers that sometimes we can face what works for me should work for you So you assume that because this is the way that you learn, this is the way that everybody else learns, so we structure our instruction, we structure our classes, we structure our methodology out of what a previous generation did and what worked with the previous generation, and then we lose sight that that is not having the great impact on the next generation. See, we've moved from being goal-driven ministry to tradition-driven ministry. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that when we come to church, the purpose and the goal of us coming to church is not for attendance. The whole goal and purpose of church is not for you to come in and look like something or talk like something or act like something. That is not the goal of church. The goal of church is for you to come in and to grow in your faith. To grow in your faithfulness and obedience and submission to Jesus Christ. The goal is not attendance or assimilation or uniformity in appearance, thought, or personalities. The whole goal is... Believers growing in Christ. And sometimes we can get that skewed. Sometimes we can just assume that what worked for us will work for someone else. And sometimes we can be so traditionally driven in our methodology or in our ministry that we forget that the whole goal is not tradition. It's not the metrics that so many times we use. The whole goal is are people growing or not? I've had Bible devotionals that I will use and use for different seasons of life and there'll be Bible devotionals that I'll look at and I'll look and they're not helping me. They're not growing me. They're not spurring me to thought. They may be great for someone else but they didn't hit me. There'll be times I'll be listening to a preacher and somebody will say, man, Spence, have you heard this preacher? And I'll be like, no, no well, you gotta listen to this preacher and I'll listen to this preacher and I, it just doesn't hit with me. It doesn't, it doesn't get in my ears. Now, it may get into that person's ears. It doesn't get into my ears. What works for them doesn't have to work for me. What works for me doesn't have to work for them. Is the point is, are we both growing? That's the point. So whether you stand up or you sit down when Greg is leading us in worship. Whether you raise your hands or you keep your hands in your pockets. Whether you drink coffee or you don't drink coffee. Whether you bring a tangible Bible or you look on an electronic device. Whether you are sitting here in this sanctuary or you are watching us online. It doesn't matter as much as the question, are you growing? Because it doesn't matter if you show up here and you bring a solid Bible and you stand up and you're singing and you're doing all the stuff and you're not growing in your faith, you're missing the point. Which leads to this last one and I know I'm out of time but I want you, I want, I want, we got to get this. This last one. That growth is measurable. Growth is measurable. 
So let me back up. We, we've looked at Paul is reminding us. Paul is reminding us this idea of what it means to grow up. He reminds us these believers have gifts. These gifts have a purpose. These gifts have a goal. And so if we know that the whole reason that Christ has given us these gifts is that so we can grow both individually and corporately, he says, but know this, understand this, this growth is measurable. So you get down there in verse 15 and verse 16 and we'll be done. <laughs> He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He is saying there is a way that we can measure, are we growing? In our house, I don't know where we got it from, but we have a board that sits on the wall, and there's marks, two foot, three foot, four foot, five foot, and every, periodically, the boys will get up there, and you'll mark them. You'll say, Eli, and he was eight and a half years old, and then Eli, ten and a half years old, and then Eli, thirteen and a half years old, and you mark the growth in time. But if you were to imagine on your spiritual life, you would imagine the life of the church, instead of marking time by numbers, or budgets, or buildings, or made, instead of marking those things, maybe we should have some way to say, Say, spiritual growth, spiritual growth, spiritual growth. How do we do that? Notice he says there in verse 15, I was telling the deacons this morning, a, a struggle that I have, rather speaking the truth in love. I am great at speaking truth. You want some truth, you come talk to me. I'll give you all the truth I got. I am great at speaking truth. And you know what? I, a lot of times, a lot of times, my heart is for it to be in love. The problem is, by the time it comes out of my mouth and goes into that person's ear, somehow it goes to a transformation. <laughs> and then it comes in as cynical or sarcasm or chauvinistic or dismissive. All these things, I'm like, well, that's not how it left. <laughs> Maybe that's a little sarcastic. But I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's one of those, I'm thinking to myself, that's not the way I, that's not the way it came out. But the problem is, is that I am responsible for what goes into the ears, not what's coming out of my mouth. So many times we think in this world today that you're not responsible for what goes into the ears. You're responsible for what goes into the ears. Yes, you're responsible for what comes out of the mouth, but more important than that, you're responsible for what comes into the ears. And so you're responsible on all the way. So he says right there, rather speaking truth in love. So he's saying, I want you to understand this isn't easy. This isn't something that everybody is going to fall out of bed and fall into by default. But he says, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who, or in, who is the head into Christ. So he's saying that the whole metric, the means of measuring with, with the church, whether we are growing or not, is What's the state of our spiritual lives? In other words, I put there in your notes, metrics reveal values. Because if the metrics by which we're guarding or gauging the success of this church or the success of your life is dependent upon Sunday morning attendance, we're using wrong metric. Or if we go off of the tithes and the giving numbers and say, well, we've brought in more money this day than we did this day, or the numbers are up or down, if we're using that as our sole metric for judging success, we are missing 
the point. Now I want to be clear. Numbers are our friends. Numbers give us trends. Trends show us realities. There are things that numbers and statistics can do that help us gauge the health or where we're moving as a church. But at the same time, Paul says, it's not a matter of how many you had in Ephesus on Sunday morning. The question is, is what are the metrics you're using to gauge success? Are you looking at the fact that we are to grow up and are people growing up? Or do you look at it and say, we don't care if people are growing up or not. We just want to have more in attendance. Same thing can be said about your life. Do I want to know more Bible study stories or do I just want to know about God? Can you imagine three years ago we take Kenzie and we put her in front of a test and she has to answer all these Bible questions and then now three years later we take Kenzie and we say, okay, now we want to change through these questions and then we want to measure whether you've grown or whether you've learned anything over the last three years. People would say, well, that's kind of dumb. We do it in school all the time. That's what you call a test. That's what you call standardized testing. That's what you call what they do. They're using measurement to measure whether the person has grown in their knowledge and in their education or not. And yet we don't apply a lot of times those same metrics to the church today. We're not asking the question, is that person growing? We're just asking the question, is our measurement success being met? And Paul wants to come in and says, you don't understand, your metrics reveal your values. So if your values are bigger buildings, bigger bodies and bigger budgets then that's all that matters then you can go out and do that we can make this time of entertainment we can do juggling tricks we can get a fog machine we can get some lights going on oh we can really get all trendy we can get all seeker seeker sensitive and we can just do that if that's the only metrics that we have but Paul says that's not the only metric that's not the metric you should be living by notice he says in verse 16 from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love (laughs) so what's he saying there what's he saying is reminding us that this growth is measurable It's measurable by the metrics by which we value. It's also measurable by the trajectory of our faith. In other words, let me put it to you the way I put it there in your notes. Fidelity does not lead to retardation. Now, I'm going to need to qualify this because many times when you think of retardation, we're thinking of some type of a a pejorative. We're thinking of some type of a a negative. I'm making fun of somebody or I'm being insensitive about somebody. Well, now our language has changed and now we're talking about somebody being delayed or somebody having a disability or somebody having a hindrance or, 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 or an obstacle they're trying to overcome. I don't mean this in the way of making fun or making light of somebody that is dealing with some type of a physical or mental disability. What I'm saying is, is that when I was younger, 16 years old, my first vehicle was an 82 Chevrolet. Rebuilt the motor in it. We put the motor in it and you get back there. We had this special wrench that you could loosen off the distributor cap. Some of you are going to know what I'm saying. Some of you are not going to have a clue at all. And you could sit right there at that distributor cap and you could take this timing gun and you could shine it down on the harmonic balancer which is on the front of the motor and it would flash like a strobe light with the timing of the motor. And you could sit there and you could spin that distributor cap and you could advance or retard the timing. You could speed it up or you could slow it down. So sometimes if you wanted the truck to sound really mean, you could get up there and you could slow it down. Sometimes if you wanted to speed it up, you could... 
I mean, you, you, you could do it back and forth. So this idea of when it comes to the life of the church, what, what Paul is saying is fidelity does not lead to retardation. When it comes to us being faithful, submissive to God, it shouldn't lead to a decrease of zeal. Or slowing down a ministry. Or coasting in our faithfulness and submission to God. It shouldn't include a rut of spiritual faith. He says fidelity does not lead to retardation. So we are looking at a church today. We are looking at a a church writ large today that is slowing down. We are decreasing. We are shrinking in size, not just numerically, but also in influence. We are shrinking in the kind of voice that we have in this community. We are right now here in Wellston, Oklahoma, 14,000 people within a 10-mile radius of this church. 14,000 people. And we are blessed that over 7,000 of those people, roughly 50%, are under the age of 40. Do you realize that we have 7,000 people under the age of 40 living within 10 miles of this church? And how many are we touching? realize that we're not touching them faster than they're moving in? You realize that the definition of a church that's plateaued is when they are growing at a growing or shrinking at a rate less than the population increase? And the majority of the churches today, especially in Southern Baptist work, have plateaued. They might still be growing here's and there's, but they're not growing at the rate of the population around them. And we see, in effect, retardation happening. And I think Paul would say that you can't claim fidelity to the word of God if you see the trajectory of retardation happening in the life of the church. Because, notice, he says, when each part is working properly... It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it's not me doing this name and acclaiming thing. It's not me trying to say, well, this is what we do. We just, need to, we just need to hold our fist up. You saw a video here some time ago. I think it was Kenneth Copeland, I think, that he gets there in the front of the church and he is telling COVID-19 to be gone. And at one point in the video, at one point in the video he, I've spewed it out of my mouth. COVID-19 is extinct. It is eradicated. He ain't looking at the same numbers I'm looking at. (laughs) But he claimed it. He stood there. And then then you had a group up in Bethel. And they had some spirit stick, if you will. And they get on the stage and they go, We are going to stomp out this sickness that is plaguing our country. And they all got in a circle. They all grabbed the stick. Wham! 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 It's now banished. No, it didn't. So I'm not trying to do some naming and claiming stuff here this morning before you, but I want you to see what the text says right there in verse 16. It says, when each part. This is not my words. These are the words of Paul written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These are God's words to the church today. It says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is saying, when you have grace and you have love, the culmination, the result is growth. So you want to know how it is that we grow as a church? We live by grace, live under grace. We practice love, live by love. And that means we will grow in our faith. That doesn't mean that I sit back and say, well, all I got to do, all I got to do is make sure you all are doing what you're supposed to be doing and we're going to grow. That's not the point. But he's saying, he is saying when each part is working properly, 
we will grow. Personally, when each part of your personal life is working properly, you will grow. Corporately, when each part of our corporate life, our fellowship is working properly, we will grow. So how is it that we measure our growth? How is it? And I know I've taken you too long this morning, but how is it that we measure our growth? So we've come to a passage like this. Paul is saying, listen, when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, and that is to grow. You can always be growing. You may not understand which direction you're supposed to turn. You may not understand what you're supposed to look like or talk like or act like when it comes to the church. But you know what you can do is that every day you can get up and you can be intentional and say, I'm going to grow in my faith today. So how are some ways that we can measure whether we are growing as a church or even as an individual? And I've got uh, three questions right there, and we're going to get through these rather quickly. But the first one is this. Are you equipping or being equipped? So are you equipping or being equipped? That's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Are you equipping or being equipped? This puts you in a question of discipleship. Are you discipling someone or being discipled by someone? This can happen one-on-one. This can happen in a group setting. This can happen in different ways. But are you being equipped or are you equipping someone else? Is someone or somebody teaching you and ministering to your life on a regular basis? Are you equipping or are you being equipped? We have lots of people in this world today that says, Well, I don't need being equipped, Spence. I've got everything I need by myself. No, you don't. You always need someone pouring into you. You always need someone coming alongside of you. You always need someone pouring into your life. So, question needs to be asked. Are you equipping or are you being equipped? Maybe both and, but we need to be in one, at least one of those categories. The second question is this. What marks of maturity can you point to? I can't remember the date. But I know I was there the day I started taking my first step. I don't even know how old I was. I'm sure I was like six months old because I've always been, you know, ahead of the curve on some of that stuff. But, but you know, but there was, there was a day that I began to walk. That I went from being all fours, crawling around like the rest of humanity, and I, and I got upright. <laughs> I joined the Evolution Club, and I, and I got up on all four, I got up on my two feet, and I started taking steps. I don't know when that was, but I can tell you that obviously it happened because I'm standing here today. And that's a, that's a mark of physical maturity. I think I'm still traumatized over this, but once upon a time, my parents skipped the price of the baby food. My dad would actually take food and chew it, and then put it on the spoon, and then feed it to the kids. That'll mess with your upbringing. <clears throat> but there was once upon a time, I reached down and got a hold of that green bean by myself and I ate it myself. A mark of maturity. There was once upon a time I went from being dressed to dressing myself. I went from being driven around to driving myself. I can look back and say these are marks of maturity that have marked my life. And, and I wonder when it comes to you, as far as when it comes to your spiritual maturity, what marks do you have? I realized my sin and my need of a salvation. And I cried out to Jesus and he saved me. And then I understood that the first step of obedience after being saved was following a believer's baptism. And I, and I went and I understood and I learned about what that was. And then I followed in obedience and faithfulness to God and I got baptized. It's a demonstration 
of what Christ has done for me. And then you know what? Then I got myself a Bible. And then it wasn't that I had to have someone else teaching me how to read the Bible. I started reading the Bible. And you know, I didn't understand it all. And I didn't catch it all at the very beginning. But you know what? I kept reading it and I kept learning it. And I kept having people show me and I kept asking questions. And you know what? I know more about Jesus today than I did back then because of my continual pursuit and my growth and what God is and who God is and what God has done for me. And then you know what? Then, and then it got to the point that I realized that God has blessed me and gifted me with so many things that now you need to give some of those things back to him. So when I come to church, I give not just of my financial gifting that God has given me, but then I give of my other giftings. My time. My talents. My smile. My encouragement. My attentiveness. And now I come and I give back to God, not just monetarily. I give back to God because what God has given to me, I give my life back to God. What marks your life? And this last one, and we'll be done. Who is responsible for church growth? Who is responsible for church growth? There may be one, two, maybe more than that. You go through a season where you're looking for a pastor, you're looking for someone to lead you. It can be easy to start to think, well, when we get a new pastor, boy, things will change. When we get a new pastor, this will be different. When we get a new pastor, he will do this. When we get a new pastor, all of these things will go away. And sometimes you start to place everything in a person. And the pastor is not the Savior, and the pastor is not the Holy Spirit. The pastor is just the under shepherd serving under the direction of. Jesus Christ. So who's responsible for church growth? I realize this is a double-edged question because I realize it's, you may think it's a trick question. Well, Spence, if I say you, then what's my job? And if I say if it's me, then what's your job? If I say it's us, then what does the Holy Spirit do? If I say it's the Holy Spirit, then what do we do? And that's exactly my point. Because church growth is not just about the Holy Spirit working despite us. And it's not just about us working without the Holy Spirit. Who is responsible for growth in the church today? Everyone. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, The Holy Spirit's doing its part. God is doing his part. Jesus is doing his part. Are you doing your part? Bow your heads with me.